Boom. Boom yourself. Rex Sykes, the man, the legend. The amazing Rex. Right. That's right. Yeah, I think the last time I saw you was when I was up in Wisconsin and we uh we talked to your class. Oh yeah. Oh god, that's yeah. great. That's right. That was, uh, yeah. was like 2016 or something, 15, mm-hmm. 16, That actually but helped right. a lot because we stole a bunch of your students for PAs when we were first kicking off Cactus Jack until right. we decided we wanted to make it with no crew. Oh it no just, offense to your students. Oh, all of your success to me then. <laughs> <laughs> In uh, more ways than you know. I know, I know. I'm, I'm keeping tab. No, I, I am so impressed. I, are we recording? Yeah, yes. we're on. We're live. We got I you am, know, 59 oh, okay. minutes probably to go. Nine minutes to go? 59. It's 60 oh. minutes. I am so impressed with your trailer. That looks absolutely amazing. And go, go is such out the part. incredible talent. I mean, I'm, I'm envious and I hate him. For- <laughs> For being so good he is no he's truly he's truly good i've been it's, a huge fan of michael's for for a decade or more now probably two decades or more and uh so very very cool more power to you and sydney's your producer i mean you, you what, what an incredible thing yeah you talked to him too didn't, for a bit didn't you about the last full measure so small right. world sydney well, sherman our well, manager well we have so many you know friends in common and things like that i mean i every day i Somebody, you know, will contact me and say, oh, I'm so-and-so's friend or such. I just watched Mank last night, and I worked with John Hausman, and they mentioned, you know, Hausman in the mm. in the movie and everything. I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot. Dude, how is Mank? Huh? How is Mank? I'm undecided. I want to watch it again. It's stunning in many ways, but I watched it between, like, 3 and 5 in the morning or 4 and 5 in the morning, and, you know, and then and, and I got – caught up in something and then the sun started to come up and because of the black and white and the contrast and the sun coming in the windows it was harder for me to mm. what's going on it's definitely a talking head movie i mean it's very cool. so i got nothing against i love talking heads movies oh, I'm not, no there's nothing against it i'm just saying it's it's just it's just a very you, you have to pay attention you gotta pay attention yeah absolutely watch so i, I want to watch it again but it's it's it's, it's amazing the recreation and their San Simeon, whether they're there or whether it's all whatever, I have no idea. I didn't quiet, honey. I have no idea, but absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> Who do you got there with you? Uh, this is Bailey. Bailey is my two year old, an incredible two year old, and Sasha's in the other room. See Bailey. The tail wagging back there. You mean really? That's just a glimpse for a second there. She has a paintbrush tail. I never knew what that was called until somebody, you know, I mean, somebody said, oh, paintbrush tail. It's a little white tip on that. Uh, yeah. I never. You I should uh, actually put some paint on it, have her make some art. <laughs> <laughs> Sign some canvas. Yes. Paint, paint, ba- painting by Bailey. That would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be something. All prints on canvas. <laughs> well, like that might be a hot seller. <laughs> It could be, I, or we could just smear dog crap all over the thing. <laughs> there yeah, you I was go. Say, that shit, yeah. We know it can That'll be, be a Smithsonian. <laughs> it's a proven. Uh, I smelly art. I don't want Rex's dogs shit art. I want Rex shit art. Right? <laughs> oh, no. I'll leave you there. <laughs> um, well, this was supposed to be one of the hard out my favorite movie episodes, and your pick was the Nitwits. Right, um, 1935, right? Um, right. But, George Stevens, who directed Giant. Yes, um, but I could not find a copy anywhere streaming online. I had to order one on eBay. It should be here Monday, so we'll reconvene to do that episode. This will just be a general hard out episode, bullshit and catching cool. up, see what you got going on. Absolutely. Um, I yeah, what do you, you have going on yeah. right now? Do you got anything to plug or anything that you're yeah, into right, right now? Any projects? My book, obviously, my book. To our, to our mom. Is doing well. Right. Yes. Uh, plugging the book to your mom. <laughs> hey, mom. Your terms, mom. <laughs> Buy it for all your friends. Makes great Christmas gifts, stocking stuffers. You know, if you're a corporate executive, give it to all your employees. Life on your terms available at Amazon and hopefully soon to be Barnes and Noble and other places. But um, it's, it's certainly available at Amazon. There's my shameless plug. And uh, and then Shooting Star is, uh, I don't know. I thought it was coming out in October. But uh, so I haven't heard COVID when, got a hold of it. Mm. I haven't heard when it's coming out, but I did. They sent me a remote, a, a suitcase, a laptop to do ADR in my mm. closet. Essentially, I had to get under a blanket and, 
and do the ADR and uh, <laughs> work with the sound guy. They were, originally they were going to put me in the sound studio here and they couldn't find one that they could work with apparently. Mm. And, uh, and so they just said, here, we're shipping you the equipment. So it was cool. It was fun. Crazy times, man. Yeah. Yeah. Do what we got to do to get these things through. I um, mean, we're basically doing the same for Gaul. We got some ADR yeah. we need to do in the next week or two and we're sending him shit. It's like, I could have him in my place, but why? ADR is the hardest, I think, of anything an actor has to do. I, now, see, really? I love, I, oh God, I, I love film. I love, I love live performance. I love film work. I love thinking on my feet when things go wrong. I love to troubleshoot. I love producing for that reason because suddenly, you know, you have to get all your resources together. Mm-hmm. ADR, here's how I describe ADR. Imagine that you play Quasimodo. You've got a 30-pound lump of clay on your back. Your face is all twisted up with makeup and appliances and whatever. You yeah. And you're doing the whole thing. Now you come back into DDR and you're supposed to stand in front of a microphone, look up at a screen, essentially. Or in this case, it was on a, mm-hmm. and recreate what you did when and you had to on way on back and appliances in your face and sound the same. And and if you make any extraneous sounds, like if you cry and you go, <laughs> but that's you not actually happening on screen. Yeah, uh, Jay it, made a great point recently about green screen being similar. That it's actually maybe uh takes more acting chops to be able to pretend that you're being chased by this giant dinosaur that's not there you know so i have i agree with you holy chris i have maintained that shia labeouf is the best actor in the world dude i'm not gonna fucking argue yeah with i mean fucking en- enamored with him man have you seen the fast times at ridgemont high re- table read on they did a huh. zoom uh and he played uh spicoli and sean penn was there playing a different character but he got to observe shia labeouf playing his role and uh and brad pitt and jennifer aniston were there which was interesting because of their history and And they were the judge reinhold and phoebe cates roles which is hilarious it was pretty star-studded and but shia fucking stole the show man he was amazing and he didn't do it at all like the original either no he did like some modern just decrepit stoner type Truly, truly an amazing talent, a brilliant actor, creative mind. And yet whenever I've watched what was the Eagle Eyes or whatever the is that yeah, whatever, that was during Spielberg that. blockbuster phase, yeah. He's gotta run, he's gotta cry, he's gotta do all these things to a green screen. I mean, you know, look at a broom and act scared. Well, have you seen Honey Boy? I think I did. That's the semi autobiographical one where he plays his dad in it about the child maybe star and shit maybe i thought i did but dude watch honey yeah, boy but the opening shit movie. even makes fun of that it's like him as a child actor in front of a green screen being launched on some fucking band or a rubber band essentially you know what i mean for some big action shot <laughs> so well, it kind of yeah. skewers that whole thing but uh dude he plays his own dad it is fucking phenomenal acting. Uh, he wrote it. it um the myth is he wrote it in rehab um i think some of that is questionable marketing spin but uh that he wrote it in rehab and like fucking 10 days later after he got out of rehab they were shooting or something which i think you know it's kind of hollywood spin but could be he's the man he's fucking great i remember when they were shooting transformers 3 here in milwaukee yeah and i was in school i still um i worked a couple days on security for the set i remember seeing him and back then you just thought he was like some disney star and shit I was like, look at this yeah, at guy. first I didn't have anything close to the respect I got for him now, you know, after, I mean, the, the things he's done. I mean, it, what was that story about him showing up at Alec Baldwin's door because Baldwin wasn't taking the script seriously? Yeah, they were doing a play. He got fired from this play because he pissed off Alec Baldwin for giving Alec Baldwin shit for not being off book yet and everything. It's hilarious, dude. <laughs> it was a great um, clip of him telling the story on Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon or some shit, but... Right, it's just so, just a, a, a brilliant talent. I mean, you know, I, you know, I have as a young actor, I was more like, oh, this is art, this is crap, this is mm-hmm. you know, you got to be your best, you know, and everything. And as an older actor, I go, hey, we're just pretending, right? Uh-huh. Just make believe. But that said, some people make believe a whole lot better than others. Oh yeah, I mean, Sean uh, Penns and Danny Lewis. Yeah, and shit. Man, <clears throat> many of them, I think, are accessing something that's in there you know what i mean that's it, it is uh you know 
reaching into, you know, something that's painful in their past or even just that they can imagine it's not even necessarily something that happened. They imagine, you know, but they can access it in better than right. others, you know. Shelly Winters was a, a, an acquaintance, a friend of mine. And you said Shelly Winters? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, nice. yeah. yeah I know, I know. Legend. And I, but I never liked her. I mean, I, mean, I thought she was uh, an actress old lady with a tiny little dog and, you know, the mm -hmm. whole thing. Um, but I appreciated her as an actor. And it wasn't until she made some comments on Marlon Brando that I really grew to respect her and, and then really truly appreciated her um, as a person. You know, What she said was, and I think it's so true of that time, she said, I, Marlon hated acting. And uh, yeah, it doesn't sound surprising. Basically. Well, but but you know it it was it was I forget when it was Shawno was remember when Shawno Wisconsin was there was a an uprising with Native Americans or something and everybody was on edge and mm -hmm. and so Brando instead of accepting the Academy Award had yeah. the Native American come and the whole thing as a protest or whatever um, he was on the Tomorrow Show or something and they kept saying I'm going to get fired if I don't talk to you about acting. His acting is like sharpening pencils. Anybody can do it. And I was so offended. I mean, I was mm -hmm. 18, 19 at the time going, yeah, yeah, that's easy for you to say Academy Award nominated actor, like sharpening pencils. Anybody can do it. Yeah, right. Maybe well, it was humility. <laughs> but <laughs> Shelley said this. She said he spent so much time, especially at that time with, you know, the, the method of being in pain and hurting and mm -hmm. tapping. And in the 70s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, that was a predominant, a lot of acting was get into your crap, wallow in it, feel it, be authentic, mm -hmm. let it, you know, and so you'd be a puddle of crying yeah. on the floor yeah. and the yeah. acting would go, hey, okay, time to, see you next week. Right. And, and you're like, <laughs> you gotta put this back together. <laughs> they, they can't go out to, you know, get coffee now. They're totally like, you know. But, but that's what she said about Brando. She said, I think he just spent so much time mm. agony that he just grew to not like the entire process that it Contempt hurt. Contempt for the craft after uh, all of well, that. Yeah. So that's why um, my other predominant acting coach and myself in terms of teaching acting have said, it, it's crazy to, to go through all of that mm. to, for, for a movie. Steven Railsburg played, played um, Manson in Helter Skelter, they said for three months, you know, he was Manson. And then at the end, at the rap party, nobody really liked him because he'd been a dick right. at the time. <laughs> Jim and, Carrey is Andy Kaufman. Well, you know, but the thing is this, he never killed anybody as Charlie Manson. Yeah, very he, true. I mean, there's... It, Take it, all the acid and... Well, I mean, you know, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and Lincoln, you know, call me Mr. Lincoln on the set. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you still go home to an electronic world. You're not... You're, right. So... And, and there's remember. something to be said for being able to convince everyone you're having those emotions when you're not. If that's, that's the, off, yeah. maybe the pinnacle of acting that you can pull it off, right? When without even having to access, you just fucking convince everyone. It's like a magic act sort of thing. But, or a, but acting shouldn't occupy your life. It shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It that it, yeah, it shouldn't ruin you for everything yeah. else. It shouldn't be so taxing that you go, God, right. I want to do this yeah. again. You know, it what be, job would you want that does that to you? I was right. wondering if Danny Lewis is just super antisocial and he doesn't want to fucking chit chat no on set with everybody, so he just does that to alienate everyone. It's an excuse to be himself. He's really I'm, Daniel Plainview. <laughs> like, I'm painfully shy, so that's my masquerade. I've right. Mm -hmm. No, but I mean, these guys are remarkable talents. I couldn't do what they do. I mean, you know, and obviously, very few people in the world can. Sorry. And uh, and, and they're astounding. But. Uh, but you shouldn't have to, you know, Neil Innes, who from Monty Python said, I suffered for my art. Mm. And now it's your turn. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, really? But, but I think that's the most brilliant line. But, but you shouldn't have to, I mean, you shouldn't have to suffer. You shouldn't be in mental and physical and emotional and spiritual mm. pain and angity to, to recreate somebody on screen. Well, the funny thing is, too, is that Dan Lewis is going to get his pick of roles and they're all going to be phantom thread level fucking insanity and shit, right? But... For just the average working actor, so many roles you get are not even going to require any of that kind of flex. So oh. what do you, what do you, how do you just act the buddy role or whatever? It's right. like drawing your pain to just be the sidekick mm -hmm. or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, the, or the nagging girlfriend, whatever these trope roles are. Well, it, it, well say, I mean, um, 
Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Well, I was going to say like Robin Williams, for example, like in Goodwill Hunting or oh, yeah, he's a reservoir. Know, I mean, yeah, exactly. And there, I think there is something to that that really, I mean, strikes you that in a way that maybe you can't access. You can't. Well, take a guy like that, then doing Mork and Mindy. Don't have the pathos, you know. That's what I'm talking it, about. Him doing Mork and shit. Like, yeah. Well, that was, I'm sure, a reaction to all that pathos too. You know, the that manic, you know, zany side was trying to. But just as far as the emotional, you're not you're not engaging that at all with those kind of roles, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you were saying Rex in response well, I was to that. Say, I mean, if, you know, for the average actor, I mean, I've been fortunate that I've either starred or co-starred in some things, and I've also done smaller or lesser parts. The lesser parts, I mean, you know, if tomorrow I get hired, you know, and I'm playing a security guard in something, I don't have to go through all of that stuff. Nobody, course, you know, yeah. All I have to do is learn how to further the story, especially in television. You got to look at where you are in the script, who who you're acting with. You know, are you with, acting with the stars or are you acting? How, what do you what do you do to further the story? And I was just, thinking that would be sorry, to, but hilarious if you did just spend months like preparing for the security guard role and like wrecked your family life because you're playing. You know, I bet a lot of young actors when they get their first roles and shit, they do that. <laughs> right, but go well, on. I'm sorry. You, I, I, I'll tell you how it was for me. I mean, and it's probably parallels a number of people. You. Either you're very lucky and you audition all the time and you get things, or you're very lucky and you audition all the time and you never get anything, or you never get any auditions and mm-hmm. you're trying to get the auditions. And, and so when you do get an audition or you do get a role, all of, all of, it's, it's the, we're going to charge you for everything we didn't make this year. <laughs> we, uh, it, this is my chance. It's, you know, I've got two lines, you know, a friend of mine's yeah. first lines on the TV show were flowers for Miss Brooks. He delivered flowers uh, in a soap opera. And essentially, and his whole family's watching because of this one moment. Because, and he's outside the door and he goes, flowers for Miss Brooks. And that was that was it. Um, you know, you, you know, uh, my backstory is, you know, I'm a crazed maniac who, who you right. know, went through right. all this shit. <laughs> and, and now the last thing on earth is I'm delivering flowers. And so I go, flowers for Miss Brooks. <laughs> as opposed to flowers from and they're going to say stop i did a right. thing, Archie bunkers thing where i was in a Archie bunker show or whatever and i i look at the check and i go you pay it kind of thing uh-huh. like no 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 you can't you it's, can't make archie archie's bar too expensive it's always funny when you see an extra being extra yeah. <laughs> you know, in the background where they're like just like <laughs> chatting shit over there, like <laughs> there's the one guy there's this famous extra he was in ghostbusters he's the guy who's like yeah ghostbusters in the crowd like when and he's been in several uh, movies i gotta look him up again but he's just like you gotta a, do a compilation of his the extraction yeah it's yeah, hilarious the extraction, that's the name of it there are famous extras and there are famous groupies and i can't think of the most famous groupie there was one running around hollywood in the 70s oh, shit. platform shoes hot these pants, are exactly the stories we wanted to have you on yes continue. you know Tapes, I forget, and he used to be all over Sunset Strip late at night. It's like Chucky Star, I think his name was Chucky Star, and he was known to be a groupie everywhere. Uh, Jay and I wanted to do a we we sort of pitched um, in general meetings mostly um, a uh, Sunset Boulevard like Guns and Roses types TV show. And you're following this band and the egos clashing and, you know, uh, all the groupies and the drugs and excess and things, but also this, this desire for thirst for fame and then finally rocketing to it in no time. And it would just be a great scene to explore, you know, and, uh, the, when we pitched it with like, I know, um, uh, uh, oh my, how am I forget? Uh, uh, fuck it. Johnny Depp, she's hot enough. Johnny Depp's production <laughs> company was interested in it because you know he's into um, he's into rock and roll and stuff. I mean, he you know played in Hollywood vampires, etc. I saw him play with STP. Um, and the note we kept getting was that no, it should be from the producer's point of view, not the band's point of view. You know, it's that like you know, and it just that felt wrong to us. We felt like no, you want to be in there with. It's like you know Tony Soprano, even though he managed the mob and stuff, but it was like he was the he was the the force, you know, like we feel like the band is the force, you know, they're cl- the guitarist and the lead singer, especially the lead singer, probably, you know, come on, the Axl Rose, you know. Um, but then they, then we found out right on the heels of that as this was being the Mick Jagger, Scorsese show. Mick Jagger and Scorsese, Mick Jagger and Scorsese had an HBO show in development that was 
too similar, but it turned out to be the show Vinyl, Vinyl yeah, which is set in the seventies, and they did that, I believe. I think it, he was the producer in the movie. Yeah, producer. they did. It wasn't it. that successful, you know? It kind of just di- died on the vine. And well, we always joke about that like, too. Real, like the mythical clashing and everything of the band members is where it's at. I don't know why they're scared of that. I mean, if you look at sitcoms, every sitcom has a family in a living room doing something. Right. I mean, so you have a couple of band shows or you have a, I mean, look at all the cop shows. operas, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what? You know, why, why? Exactly. You know, I, I revisit that shit now that Johnny Depp's less hireable as an actor. <laughs> I kept forgetting his name because I was his, his producer's name kept going into my head. <laughs> you know that with the person. Well, you guys have accomplished an awful lot of incredible stuff. You know, you've been writing for different things. I mean, I you know you you've got your books and different things. Let's mm-hmm. hear about some of what's going on for you guys. Oh shit, dude! Right now it's just Jack for the most yeah, part. Yeah, that's our main focus. We're very close to just finishing it. It's in post. It comes out January 20th. We're going to run a trailer of it at the end of this episode, actually. We've been doing that. Cool. Um, but you know what would have made it better? What's that? So that Sykes, the amazing <laughs> uh-huh. I, I just throwing that out there. Just We definitely want to find some way to do something. Yeah, no, that would you be know, wonderful. Yeah. It, you know, it's yeah. very, we, we try and we want to just find the perfect thing though. Kind of like with Gaul, right. we looked at Gaul and thought, what can we do with this guy? He feels like an untapped secret weapon here in the Milwaukee scene. Well, that no well, one's really yeah. utilized to his max potential yet. Well, I mean, that is Michael. Yeah, he's a hate monger. There's that now. Yeah. He's, a he's a lovely guy, but I mean, his, his yes. character has always been kind of this, this asshole kind of guy. Acerbic. You know? right. yeah. I mean, this and shit yes. goes to whole new heights of just... Yes, but I, mean, I, I, I was attracted to him, uh, and that sounds sexual, but it wasn't that meant that way. But I, I first saw him, Dustin Diamond, and he were doing something <laughs> decades ago. Yeah, Screech. Yeah, but they were doing... got to get him on our favorite movie. Right, yeah. Podcast, you but, go ahead. But, but Dustin and he were doing some kind of like they were trying to do a road tour show or something. A yes, he's told this story before about and, how, yes. so how I much went, it bombed. That was the first time I saw Go. And for, at that point, then there was also Tony. Was it Tony Brown? Uh, was heading up some of the co- local comedians, and there was something at the press club or whatever the what it, what's it called the. Um, so you're talking about seeing his stand-up, though, not acting. No, but I am talking about stand-up at front. Is where I first yeah, right. became aware mm-hmm. of Michael. I didn't yeah. know he wanted to be an actor until I, until I got to know him, and I got to know him because of his stand-up. But I immediately went and said, hey, you're cool. I love your character. I love what you're doing. And uh, But what is it called? It's a, it's a place in front of the, uh, the safe house. The, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. It's well, he like, was the guy. He was like the doorman at the safe house who would fuck with you before you could get in, right? Right. Well, no, I don't know about that, but there was in front of the safe house. There's another club, another oh, yeah. comedy there for a long time, and then it moved somewhere else, and then it moved down to the third ward, you know. And then, and then Tony died, and then it kind of just fell apart. Mm-hmm. But Michael had this ascorbic character, you know. Everything was he was the angry man kind of yes. thing, and he did it really, really well. I mean, you 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 didn't for a second think that that wasn't him. He's like a Bill Burr type, but less exact, like. Understated. Bill Burr gets kind of like he's, he's exasperated or something, you know, like, what the fuck is this? This is ridiculous. Whatever. God just goes at it. Right. Like a heat seeking missile, like just pure anger and shit. Uh, there's no, no but, and on top of it, he can act. And I've, and I have maintained for some time that some of our better actors are comedians. I mean, you, you can watch. Absolutely. Some of these guys, even yeah. well, we just mentioned Robin Williams shit, oh, like rarefied air. First um, call with shit on Robin Williams, it's joke thief. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned auditioning. Have you done a lot of that? Are there any roles that got like? Is there one that got away that you really wanted that you would have loved? I've, I choose. I mean, I don't even remember. You know, I I have a very selective memory. I hardly remember anything I've ever done, and I yeah, I'm similar. And I very well when I was when I was a young actor for about a decade, I if I wasn't working, I was always workshopping. You know, four or five times a week, I was in different maybe sometimes two or three times a day, and I taught acting. Um, so I would have to learn script after script after script. So I would learn it, and then when I was done, I just put it out of my mind. So I just forget. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I, I a friend of mine got the part, Daryl Morey, who plays David in Massacre at Central High, which is now coming out again. Um, 
and we can talk about that in a minute. Um, I was originally asked if I would by by Lynn Stallmaster to be Jughead, and I found that offensive. I thought I was like I was so pissed. I didn't want to be the best friend. I didn't want to be the sidekick. I didn't want to be Jughead. I certainly wasn't going to be, you know, anybody else in the show. But I was like, don't you know? And I was in a room full of producers, and Stallmaster had me there. And I said, absolutely not. Thank you. Bye. And I walked out. <laughs> They're like, who the fuck is this guy? How old were you at this time? All the And, and Stallmaster's like, I will never see you again. And he never did. How old were you at this time? Oh, I, I don't know. Nine, uh, I was probably okay. 22. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love this it. This is upstart Daryl, Daryl, who starred in Master at Central High, is David. I co-starred as Rodney. Daryl got that. He was also on Joni and Chachi. And, um, but he got that. And to this day, he's like, I'm drug ed. You know what I mean? He, he, <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, you were talking about having a very selective memory, and I'm like that too. I have just snippets, especially from early on. But uh, one that I definitely stands out with you in L.A. hanging out one night when we went to the Dakota Lounge. Oh, yeah. And you introduced me to Zach Ward, who played uh the red-headed uh you know bully in christmas story right which was you know a gr movie growing up that i always loved and to meet him and he was manager of the dakota lounge and i think it was santa monica yeah we were sitting at a booth with him and you guys are talking hollywood and stuff and uh uva ball and everything and i hear just in the back kitchen fa la 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 which you know in the is from the movie and i was like was that because he's here it was so surreal and then there was this amazing performer on the stage there. And I was like, this guy's awesome. And, and he came in and his manager sat down with us and it was Bruno Mars right before he shot the stardom. And, and it, uh, it, it was just a surreal night. Yeah. I Bruno Mars is the shit. Time. The motherfucker can sing. And, and you know, I had, that was one of those things I forgot for a long time until Chris, I'm sorry, until Jason said, Oh yeah. Chris talks about you and, and he going to the club in, in Santa Monica. I'm like, Oh God, of course. Yeah. That, course, that was yeah. awesome. And then the Dakota Lounge burned down a few months later, so it's just gone now. There were some great places. There was um, something on Wilshire. What was it? It was a woman's guy. It was a, oh, oh got it. You got the three of us with our shitty stoner memories. We're all going to be sitting here like, what was it? It was, a, it was like, oh, good. oh, my Lord, I love this place. It was a, I don't know if we ever went there, but uh, it's it was a courtyard bar restaurant scene it was somebody's on wilshire like kim's on wilshire or something one of you yeah, la fuckers like, say it in the comments right yeah. or if you remember later go in the comments and yeah you know and uh, and i will i mean i've got photos of it somewhere but you would go in it was this kind of long thing and they had three bars in there one to the right one to the back and one over here and they they made some great food and then of course it changed management um now why did i tell you about this <laughs> that's the real we talk about the dakota Where lounge huh the dakota oh, lounge and that whole there were so many great there's so yeah, many great yeah these little like, just gone you know and and uh like i was looking at man can i they go to trocadero i believe the trocadero and i could be wrong was the comedy store building mm. or cereos might have been the comedy store building um Cyrano's, not Cyrano. Cyrano's was down the street. There was Nikki yeah, there, a lot of places on Sunset, but Cyrano's yeah. was a, a hot spot. Um, yeah. It's funny, LA has so much to do. Parties every night, everywhere, so many cool places to hit that it can be a real trap for creatives who go there. Mm. I know writers yeah, who went there to write and end up not writing shit because they're just yeah. running around all these cool things it and is. trying to network every night. And, you know, it's like I'm at a stage where I'd prefer to just stay back. Mm -hmm. with some little we we're just talking about the villa life we just did a review of call me by your name with a buddy of ours martin and uh that's chris and i are both just like give us that little a few acres somewhere where we can just write create and then we'll take our shit to the town but being in the town is too much it was cool when you're young you know definitely when and, you're young. Like every, and it is like <laughs> but i know cool. a lot of young dudes who are now like 35 and, 40, <laughs> and i'm like i didn't write the scripts i should have wrote I think, shit, you know? I think the key is a taste of it now and then like that's mm -hmm. how i've experienced it mostly because i live in orange county i'm not in la like but when we went for meetings and things i'd go up or i'd meet someone you know mm -hmm. uh, a friend once in a while but um like when you and I were out there, Jay, we just randomly decided to go to the comedy store and watch just a, a lineup that had like, I think Jeff Ross and, and Dave Attell in it, right? They were actually announced, but by the end of the night, Louis C.K. came out and did a set. 
unannounced and it was just like holy shit this is awesome and it, it was turned actually out to be, the week he was going on snl he was workshopping yeah. basically the monologue he did on snl which was so it awesome. just always surprises you whenever you used to go out in la there's some like the night i was hanging with you you know with bruno mars and fucking zach ward and stuff so it's much just talent like, there and stars and shit it is yeah crazy. and everyone's kind of hungry to do something crazy and creative and yeah it has a good energy or at least it used to i don't i mean well, it's, it's an amazing thing because it, it, when when you know when i was running when i was running around hollywood as a late teen early 20s and then later obviously um you know there were there were like the copper penny and tiny kneelers and Two parties, which is no longer none of those are there anymore. Um, Jerry's Deli just closed, I guess, on on in that sucks in the Studio City or yeah. But the the cool part was that you could go out any time of the day and find an all night coffee shop and go mm-hmm. in, and there'd be <clears throat> those are the days when you could smoke in coffee shops. So there'd be this haze of smoke and ashtrays nice. high and yellow notepads of of screenwriters writing on legal pads their mm-hmm. scripts all night long. You know, and things like that. And um, I remember Joe Turkel, who's a friend, also as a writer. Joe was uh, the doctor in Blade Runner. He was the bartender in The Shining. And oh, Joe, nice. is, Joe is a friend, friend of mine in, in Hollywood now. I haven't seen him in years. He's 91 or two, and I'd love mm. to see him. Um, Joe used to take his typewriter and go down to, like, Ocean Avenue or down to the beach and type. He would have breakfast in the morning and then drive down to the beach and where he lived in Santa Monica and then nice. type on the beach. You know, with an old Underwood typewriter. Or that. So just like even back in the day, though, the stars would be out because there wasn't all the paparazzi bullshit. So you, I mean, True. Jim Morris would be traipsing around Sunset, mm. getting fucked up. You know, paparazzi <laughs> doing a lot of stuff. Paparazzi is sh- paparazzi's fucking trash. Yeah, no, it really. Uh, it, what happens to people? There's no reason why. I mean, I get that the movie star stuff, but the what constitutes the public's celebrity and the idea that that because you have a public persona that somehow your entire private life should not be public. Mm -hmm. I just saw Daniel Radcliffe won Hot Ones. And he was talking about, you know, the show where they eat chicken wings, hot, spicy wings, and there's a question for each wing or whatever. But so Daniel Radcliffe, you know, uh, he was talking about um, the paparazzi uh, knowing where he was going to be coming off a set every day, you know, uh, location for a shoot. And they he or someone else had the idea of wearing the same outfit every day <laughs> and it's like i mean how many pictures can you take of me coming out of this building in the same outfit you know like is it can't even tell us a different day you know it's a pretty genius smart, smart. <laughs> and he also mentioned they have these things with like collars you can throw up that make the flash just turn your head into a, just a, a white blob you know mm, that's right but yeah just wear reflective clothing so when they take a flash they will get blinded right. um that's not a bad idea we have actually have a pretty good sleazy paparazzi TV show idea called Money Shot that I think would be fucking phenomenal if we did it right. But uh, the whole paparazzi thing, you know, we wrote that script for Zac Efron too. And he was on Hot Ones. He talked about his paparazzi shit was maybe the worst of all time. He went and met with Leonardo DiCaprio just in like a mentorship kind of lunch or some shit at Leo's house. And Leo, of all people, said to him, I don't know how you do it with the paparazzi. Uh-huh. You have it way worse than I had it during Titanic and shit. Like, then Zach Efron's company is called Ninjas Running Wild because they have to run around and sneak around like uh-huh. ninjas to avoid the paparazzi. I, I, I don't think it's I as bad it. now, but I read that at least at some edge. Huh? At least at some point, uh, Zach Efron had said in an interview that he actually was loving it. It was sort of like being a spy, like a James Bond or Ooh, something, where you're like having to like duck shit. shit. And yeah, but maybe I'm, I don't know how long that lasted, you know. And that could have been lemons from lemonade type shit. Right. You know? It's like, he, well, I mean, for, I mean it, if it's like it, hot it, girls it, chasing you and shit, that sounds like a pretty good. But if that's going to be your experience, you might as well make the best of it. You might as well right. make the best He seems like that kind of dude. Right well, um, over it, you know. I mean, it's it's you wanted to be famous, right? You know, you um, want, wanted to work. And you probably know Jay and I wrote a script for Zach. Um, right. We pitched a, a movie to him, and 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 Some you know, shit. so on. Um, and after, I guess after the deal closed, I think it was um, the producers took us to a restaurant in Beverly Hills. I forget the name of it. It's the Brazilian uh, steakhouse sort of thing. Uh-huh. What's the fucking god? Anyway, um, while we were wait, whatever. Yeah, yeah. While we were waiting outside, um, 
there were a couple of paparazzi going, I heard he's, he's going to be here tonight. I don't know if it was Zach or someone else, but it might have been Zach because we were there with his producers and stuff. You know, so, with. Uh, but it but it was someone, and I just thought it was like, yeah, there's a whiff of it right there. There's these guys out there with their cameras and they're passing rumors along. That like, well, that's oh, when shit, we came up ready. with the TV show idea. Like, could you imagine being one of these fucking dudes and then who uh, they have to deal with? It would be a like great show, the though. I mean, yeah. This, the kind of stuff that you'll stumble upon, you know, it'd be like, you know, like a Chinatown sort of elements and stuff, you know, uh, the like the all the, you know, old uh, Raymond, Raymond Chandler, like the spy or not spy, but private eye type of world, you know. Um, I love Raymond Chandler. I mean, I grew up to Raymond Chandler. I, you know, I would imagine Hollywood. I mean, there was, I, I love, I love that reading about the fictitious areas of, of, um, the Southwest, you know, LA area through Chandler's eyes. And I, all I remember for one, I don't even remember what it was. I don't remember it was uh, farewell, my lovely or whatever where he goes. I walked past a row of pinks and I was like, God, what a way that, you know, he just described right. flowers the way, you know, the way he would say things. And... Yeah. yeah. He's a master for sure. LA. It's funny. Cause we're talking about how great it is and how much fun shit there is to do it. I love also the evil, dark, oh, fucked yeah, up, got, tragic uh, side I, of it. Was with, it um, Hollywood Babylon, you know that. Yes, the book, murders, the Black Dahlia, and the Wonderland. Manson, murders, Manson. Wonderland. It's oh, crazy. Shit. I mean, that makes it better in a way. I mean, it's awful, but it's also just well, it's Hollywood. That girl, of, you know twenty-seven I mean? or whatever. Just, that's part of its draw. Is the dark side is all I mean. The power, the drugs, the money. The, well, you yeah. know, everybody. It's the land of dreams, and it's the land of shattered dreams. And I, you yes. know, I always said that you could chain yourself to the studio gate and the studio executives would drive by in their limousines, you know, and, and the birds would be picking your bones before they ever realized that, you know, What's it could that, uh, break into the soul, soul uh, coughings, uh, screenwriter blues, amazing song. And that, there's that line, uh, Los Angeles loves love. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Yes. I don't know if I've shared this with you before. There was a guy named Sean. He was a shoeshine guy out in front of Schwab's. Schwab's was on sunset at Crescent Heights. They had a little stand. Originally there was a guy named Cliff there who, ended up getting beat up by loan sharks, whatever, nearly died and horribly beaten, you know, and um, a little Irish guy named Jerry took it over. And Sean was this gorgeous black man. And uh, Sean um, wanted to be an actor. And so he would ask me if I would read lines with him. And so we would, we would practice and read lines and he got an audition and would I help him with the audition? And I did. So he, he, goes this week it was like a monday or tuesday or wednesday or something like that and he get he got the audition and he got the part and jerry said to him sean you got the part your entire life is changing everything is good and he had a he had a wife from sweden a white woman from sweden and a tiny little baby and sean on a friday night so Wednesday, Wednesday or Tuesday, Thursday, he got the part, went to a bar in Hollywood. And I went to Schwab Saturday morning and Jerry goes, did you hear what happened to Sean? I go, what? He goes, he went out to this bar last night. I go, yeah. He goes, he was killed. And I went, what? He goes, some guy stabbed him in the throat with a broken oh, bottle or something and oh killed him. Oh, my God. And so his whole life was about to turn around. It's baby. You know what the role? Oh, it was Rocky Three. He was going to do the part that they eventually gave to uh, Mr. T. Clubber Lang. Holy shit. Wow. A true star-making role. I yeah. Mean, I mean, so his whole life. And you, he was buried in a pine box. His wife and baby went back to Sweden. Nobody knows, you know, uh, who, what happened. I mean, it just – and he was such a lovely – die and wanted to just you know make his dreams come true and provide for his wife and kid yeah and a shoe shine i mean that's such a rocky type story to rise from shoe shine to fucking what? star you know what? What? do you know the circumstances of what led to him being killed was it just a typical like bar fight no, type don't everything? Remember now no i don't i don't and it, it and it may have been that he said something about you know getting cast in this movie or it may not have had anything to do with it i just don't remember mm -hmm. B.A. Baracus hired some dude to off him. No, no shit. <laughs> I was so mad at him. I was like, and I said to Jerry, I go, if he was alive, I'd kill him. I was just so angry that he, that this is how, this is what happened to him. I pity the fool to go for my roles. But that, but that, you know, I mean, we all knew. I had a friend, Ned York. I was on my way to Timothy Carey. Timothy Carey was the bouncer in East of Eden. And Tim Carey was going to do a movie on the, I, either the Hillside Strangler, I think it was the Hillside Strangler. 
It could have been a Skid Row slasher. I mean, I got a bunch of these stories, but <laughs> it's all right. It's a, it's I'll tell you that's yeah. Skid Row slasher in a, in a minute. But, but um, so I'm I'm driving. I actually I think I was at Schwab's and I pulled out. I'm at Laurel Avenue on Sunset, you know, across from like the Laugh Stop or whatever, or, or Greenblatt's at the time, and um, I'm going to go up into the canyon and I'm going to Carrie's house, and I am sitting at there and on the radio. This is this is. Uh, 75 or something. I mean, it was like KHJ radio or, you know, AM radio. It wasn't even FM. Um, they go, actor Ned York has confessed to being the Hillside Strangler. And I'm like, what? I know Ed. I mean, I know Ned for years. You know, oh my like, God. You I'm knew like, what? the dude? What? I get to Tim Carey's house. I go, can I use your phone? Damn, that is hilarious. I hate the name. Drop. I called him Jerry Hauser. If you remember Jerry, he was in Slapshot. He was in the summer of 42. Jerry's a great guy. And I went, Ned, has allegedly confessed to being the outside stranger because we used to live, a friend of mine lived on Kirkwood Boulevard and right next door to his house was a guy, Jim Patterson was a music producer and Ringo Starr and Barry Bookin and all these different musicians and talents would come and play and we'd all hang out. We'd be stoned and naked and by the poolside and then lived right across the street. Wow. So it was this tight community right up from the Laurel Canyon country store. And so Ned is now arrested I'm at Kerry's house calling all my friends going, Ned is, is uh, confessed. He's, he's saying he's the hillside stranger. What do you, well, it turned out that he wasn't. And it turned just out. Just he was one of those creeps who confessed. Yeah, I never he understand that. Just <laughs> later was he was high on high stick. Talk about an attention whore. <laughs> well, he was, he said he was high on high stick, but what it was apparently was he was having trouble with his relationship and, you know, you get, mm, that's one solution. He couldn't get his agent's attention. So yeah. The last time I saw Ned in person was at the actor strike in 80 or 81. And Ned looked just like Purnell Roberts. I mean, so if you remember Adam from Bazanza or, Trapper John, he looked like Prunell Robert. I said, how you doing? He goes, I can't get arrested as an actor. I, nobody will have anything to do with me. It's kind of a great excuse to never <laughs> make it is do some crazy shit and then you can blame it when people don't That's hire true. you for anything. He became, he became a Salvation Army, whatever they are, general or hmm. major or something, and, and I think moved to Texas where he later died of a massive heart attack. But but Ned was did you a, ever get serial killer vibes from him? So did you like believe it uh, when he confessed, or were you like, no, what no, is going I, on? No, no. I, mean, I, I was just no. Ned was a beautiful man. I couldn't. I couldn't say, "Hey, man, everyone mm. gives a little serial killer vibe." All <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the the Skidrow Slasher. There was this hotel on Western Avenue, and the Skidrow Slasher had been going on. And my friend Ken and I, uh, Ken Schreiner, plays Scotty Baldwin in General Hospital, and Ken and I. This is before he got the part. We. Um, there's a, uh, an ad in the reporter in the variety for uh, an audition for a movie. So we go and it's this hotel on the east side of Western somewhere south of, you know, Hollywood Boulevard. And we go in and we're told to wait in a lobby and that um, Billy would be there to see us shortly. And so in comes this guy. He's got a white derby, white gloves, white shoes, white cane, white everything, three piece suit, white, black hair, you know, a little mustache. Billy, you know, a high hard to pull off, dude. Yeah. And he's like, How was your passage? <laughs> and Ken's like, Our passage, you know. He's like, Are you here for the film? Film. The film. And you like autumn. Ken and I are looking at each other like, what the heck is this? He's like, Well, you have a seat, my assistant's upstairs, we'll call you very soon, but we'll have you on the film. And Kim <laughs> said, Well, what 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 uh, what are you shooting the film on? And he goes, Well, you know, we're shooting it on film. And, <laughs> but like, so there was a distinction. <laughs> Affectation, mother. Uh, Fifteen or thirty-five, and he's like, "I love the test." Yes. Well, we, we we know that there's nothing about this that's going to be good, but we <laughs> thought this is too weird to to leave, so we waited, and we go upstairs eventually, and we're in this kitchen essentially, and there's a woman sitting at a table again, the the yellow pads all around her, and she's furiously writing and. And we go in and Billy's been left in a lobby and, and she says, so you're here for the, for the film. And we said, yes. And she said, well, okay, we'll, we'll do some reading. And I, in the corner of my eye, I see Billy go behind the door. Cause there was where we were was one door. And then there was another room over here. And I, I just see him go by and I don't think anything of it. And she says, 
Kim goes, well, who the heck is that guy? She goes, oh, that's Billy. You know, he's, he's the writer. But what I neglected to tell you was he had cartoon images of his character going fucking and bucking and sucking and cocking and bucking and bawling and falling. And falling. I mean, just, it was just these so pictures him and, and adoring fans in, in, in silhouette kind of thing, you know, and with <clears throat> swear words all over it. <laughs> so no script, no words, nothing. Just, just buck and suck and cock and buck and whatever. And, um, she says, well, don't pay any attention to him. He got arrested as the, the Skid Row slasher the other night, and they beat him up, and he hasn't been the same since. Oh, shit. So we're standing there when he comes in, and he so walks through fucking us. Fucking brain injury from getting right. beat, up by, beat up by the cops, you mean? Uh-huh. The, the cops beat him up? The cops, or? Yeah, the cops beat him. So he walks in, and he yeah. goes over to the sink where there's this huge butcher knife, and he starts fingering this butcher knife. and goes, you know, I don't like people who talk about me behind my back. <laughs> and Ken and I are like, I don't think we should be here. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, but he oh, got wrongfully got arrested. Me. He turned out to be the Skid Row Slasher. Right. No, he wasn't the Skid Row Slasher either. And he was just some, you know, another one of these people that Hollywood chews up. And I want to see like a support group for dudes who've been wrongly accused of being serial no, killers. <laughs> you know, they're all fucked up. <laughs> I got to confess. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of, you know, I, I, you know, I love true crime stuff and everything, but I never heard of the Skid Row Slasher. Oh. Did oh, he yeah. get caught ultimately? Yeah. Did they catch it, the real guy? Going around and slashing Ugh, who were sleeping in Skid Row. That gives me a yeah. fucking movie idea. Like, think of protagonist, a bum on Skid Row, or a guy hard on his luck in Skid Row, and uh, some don't look now shit. Or there's yeah. a slasher going around killing homeless people, though, and you're like, you want to look out for him? Is he going to get me one night? Whatever. You can make a horror movie for cheapest shit mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. real homeless people. For, with cell phones, man, I might we want to put on the list. It could be fucking oh, scary. And then Rex Sykes shows up slashing throats and shit. Uh, there you go. Uh, the, 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 uh, I'm, you know, maybe when I'm like 70, I could be a septuagenarian slasher. Yes. The septuagenarian slasher. The Fuck. next trauma film. Or just some guy who goes around in his nursing home stepping on people's yes. air hoses and oh, shit, there you go. watching them die. Well, you know, I mean, it, it is interesting. You know, as a young man, I wanted all sorts of stuff. Now, you know, I mean, like everybody, I, you know, I mean, I can't think of anybody who wouldn't say this, you know, but I'd love to be the, the boss cop in a TV show, you know, or the, mm. the guy where they go in and they report to and I go, get back to work. You know, right. and, <laughs> you know in the old days, you used to be hired on. Now you're just a, 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 a reoccurring role. You know, the, the money's not there, but, but you work, you know, a day or two a week, you know, or you're yeah, the character actor, medical sort of examiner, thing. you know, friends of mine play the medical examiners on different shows and, you know, things like that. And they come in, you know, and, Mm -hmm. then you go have your starbucks and what chill and watch a movie or something and it's, yeah. it doesn't consume you but when you guys came to my class i mean the, the whole point of that class was to teach people how to navigate a career in hollywood because truly and you got us <laughs> yeah well you were the pot smoking side of it but oh, the, we're the what not to do guys <laughs> good example no but, but the, the class was you know how do you how do you negotiate a career because too many people like we're talking about these actors that, you know, are method and they, they get screwed up or, you know, a lot of people use acting as therapy or famous therapy. You know, everybody goes to Hollywood for a dream and then uh, it doesn't work out and they end up in drugs and sex, their crime or, you know, alcohol or something because they're disappointed or they've, you know, may have had that. See, I think you got to reverse engineer it. I think you just go to LA you for go. the drugs and the sex and shit uh -huh. and fall into being an actor. There you go. You well, the big problem with all that is ego. We keep coming to back to that with other guests and stuff, but um, just that if you're going there purely for these hugely egotistical reasons and then that Jeez. doesn't do it for you, you end up still with this hungry, uncontrollable ego that you end up applying in other areas you know, that aren't so healthy. That was me. I, I mean, I... You know, I, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a star. I wanted to, you know, have all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the work that interested me as much as the attention I thought I would get from it. Yes, yeah, I'm the complete opposite. Mm. I don't and, want attention. I just want to work on creative and, and shit. I, re I was sitting with a friend of mine who turned to me and said, I don't want to be famous. I just want to be a, a working actor, like, you know, character actors who work all the time. And I was like, why would you ever want that? <laughs> now I get it. I mean, you know, it took me, you know, another 30 years I mean, to understand. Adoration's nice, I guess. but No, but I mean, you know, it's it, a, a lot of... It. You want a pussy. Show, going to show... <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Show, 
Huh? Instead of oh. Meta, you wanted pussy. That's what everyone wants to become a star. For. <laughs> what I or dick, whatever you're into. Right, exactly. Whatever your version of pussy is. No, but I tell, well, true nowadays, but the, or even then, those. But I tell you, uh, <laughs> it's not. I always said, had I had I really intended to get girls, I should have been a musician because they get the pussy. The actors don't get everybody in Hollywood's an actor. Nobody gives a crap if you're an actor. What do you do? You're an actor. Oh yeah. What have you been in? You know, that's first question. Like, what have you been in? What do you drive? Where do you live? You know, how much are you worth? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen you in anything. Well, one reason we made Cactus Jack is because we kept getting asked anything I've seen or I can see, you know, when we talk about having yeah. been. It's like we've been hired several 10, times years now more on assignments and nothing's been produced. Like it all gets stuck in development hell and shit, you know, mm-hmm. or falls apart so for very stupid reasons. You know how it is, man. Everything's so, precipice so and just gets tipped over, you know. One of the people whose whose paths crossed mine and who my paths crossed was George Clooney because he came to live with some very good friends of mine, Rosemary Clooney and the children. And that was Miguel, who's now passed away, and Gabrielle and Maria and Mancita and Raphael. And Dante was Rosie's then uh, husband or at that time boyfriend. Um, and George moved in and George worked constantly at one point. He did Pilot after pilot after pilot after pilot. He was like the most successful. It was doing like facts of life or some shit. Ultimately, he did that. And I think Roseanne or something. But he was like a a totally working actor making like 40 grand or whatever a pilot, but never seen. Nobody knew him. It wasn't similar to that. We've been paid to write scripts and stuff, but nothing has made it through the development hell process to the point of being a becoming a film ultimately. So Um, now we made the kind of film that would never make it through any. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, a lot of people act and get cut out of movies, and they've they've done. Dude, tenders. Adrian yeah. Brody, the famous one, Yeah, you know about that one. He goes opening night with his family and shit to watch the movie, and he's just not in it. He was, he was supposed, supposed to be, be the starring star. role. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell something that might get me in trouble, but I, the agents here will send you an email for an audition in Chicago, for example, and they'll they'll put everybody who's going up for an audition that week or that day. And so you'll, you might see Rex and I'm going up for a part and it'll say, you know, one episode, you know, one scene or three scenes or 10 lines or whatever. And then it'll have Jerry or something and it'll say three episodes. So I look at this and I go, I don't want the one episode with the two scenes. I want the three episodes, you know, because that means at least three days of work or more. Mm. So, you know, you audition and I, I go and I get this part. I don't get the part, but I get the audition. I get the call back for later that day, and I don't want it. I can't blow it because I need to still be good for the casting director and for right. the director. I can't blow it, but I don't want it. So I auditioned and I didn't get it. Interesting now, dilemma. I, but I see, Jack, and I see the part because I knew the part. It was with the two leads of Chicago PD, a play of a warden. And they come in to, we have this backstory. So technically, you know, that you could develop the character down the road. But anyway, I, I, I didn't get it. I didn't want it. I was very happy I didn't get it. And I would have loved it if I had gotten it at the same time. But so I see the weird show. like that. Yeah. Accidentally, I see the show. And in the scene, what you see is the two guys coming up the stairs with a third guy in front of them. And then this blur goes through the doorway. And then the two leads come in and the camera's on them. And then they cut to... Uh, in mid-sentence, the guy who plays the warden, and then they cut back to the two guys, and then there's this, uh, another sentence of the warden, but the camera's on the two guys, and then they cut out. So the guy, you know, got the part, told everybody in the world, watch me, I'm going to be on. And he's in for like half a second. He, wasn't, he literally wasn't on screen for three, four seconds at most. <laughs> Brutal. Now, he, he made $1,000 or so for that, and he probably it gets residuals for it, but. Yeah, credits. It's credits. not. It's not the same yeah, as going. Not the same. Yeah. I'm so happy and so proud of my work. Right. You know? But that's how that's how it works a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Hard to build a reel when you have a bunch of four second clips. Of you. <laughs> 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 you should build your reel. And say, I am the four second clip guy. Whenever you need somebody yes. four seconds, here I am. Here's me standing in the hallway. There's me at the elevator operator. Here I'm delivering flowers for Miss Brooks. Here's here I am at the Flasher's hey. house. Hey, when you think about it, that's pretty good bang for your bucks per second. You know, yeah, a thousand. Like if you got a thousand dollars. It's like oh, yeah. what two hundred fifty bucks a second, man. That's command. Like it's better than lawyers and shit. Yeah, no, it's 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 good pay. It's, it's reasonable. There you go. 
So what? the shorter your time, the more you maximize, like the, you know, you know what I'm saying? So either, either you're in it for the money or you're in it to be seen or you're in it for both, but you know, right. or either one is acceptable. So if, if you, if, it depends on, uh, on your mindset. It depends on where you are. If you're in it to make money, you can make money being an extra. I mean, I, if I live back in LA full time now, as opposed to going back and forth, I would, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be an extra. I'd pick my $80 a day, read a book, sit and get a sandwich and hang out and, you know, when I was a young guy, I was, I would never do that. And yet I dated a girl who bought, who bought racehorses because she was an extra on Barnaby, no, on Barbara Post. She was a regular extra. And she tons of money. Damn. Extras work more than actors. Let me ask you this. I don't know how much time we got left, but as filmmakers aspiring to probably make more films and we got a lot of buddies who are in the same boat, what would you say to aspiring directors about working with actors. Is Listen any... to your actor and don't tell your actor what to do until after the actors told you or showed you what they can do. Because mm. yeah, let them do their version. Let first, them have ownership of it. That. Yeah, that's invest but, in it. Because otherwise, they 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 may bring in stuff that you never ever thought, and it may be outside of what you had intended, but it might be brilliant, and it and it could be brilliant. And shoot your rehearsals. And shoot everything you can. Don't let them know it necessarily, but just shoot. And then, and then between the rehearsal and or even before you rehearse, a lot of times before you say action is when you get the most interesting responses because they're sitting, they're listening, they're waiting, you know, and they don't have anything. So if you need a response shot or somebody paying attention or whatever, mm, you can secretly you shoot them. <laughs> you take it before you take it before you slate them. Good, good. It's the most natural shit, shit right? Yeah. I mean, they're not mm -hmm. acting in that moment, which is right. what you're really and you after. Feed them a line. You can say, what, what, what's your line? And they go, uh, flowers for Miss Brooks. And then you go, okay, okay, that's, yeah, that's right. Okay, all right. Like, <laughs> Trick people into not acting. I love that. that Especially great. with, uh, cold. if, like I say, you go to make a movie with a bunch of homeless, real homeless people, because you want that authentic Soderbergh bubble kind of thing where you fucking cast your lead out of the kfc and shit in this local town you know um speaking of soderbergh and actors and interacting with directors i don't know where i saw this but recently i saw a clip talking about benicio del toro in a scene in traffic was somebody telling us that on this podcast dude damn it rings a bell but what's the yeah well th there was this whole long exchange between Benicio del Toro. It's a scene where he's playing this cop in traffic and he comes in and he tries to get some uh, informant or some shit on his side by pretending to be gay because the dude is gay. So he's going to court him and sucker him in so he can get info out of him. And they, they had this long back and forth exchange and dialogue scene or whatever. And del Toro was like, let me try something because this scene's just not working. It's too talky and shit. And he comes in and he set his pack of cigarettes down on the counter and he looked at the dude and when he took his hand away, there was a condom on top of the pack of cigarettes. And he's like, with well, one shot, that just one little action, right. I said everything you need to say in this whole fucking conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that came from the actor. Yeah. You know what I mean? So as a director, definitely let your actors play because they could come up with some super economical, naturalistic shit, you know? Right, because as the director, your mind is so busy with so many things yes. involving the the whole scope of the film, pretty much, and then this actor can just luxuriate in the character and think more about, you know, things that maybe you just don't have the, even the bandwidth to... to I, I, I have... Massacre Central High is now uh, uh, for re-release. It's beautiful. I saw the trailer. Yeah, I have to watch this. I'll put it on my list. I, yeah. sending me something. I mean, I, and uh, so this is good, but the director, after 35 years, I told him, I said, you know, I, I can't watch this movie without hating this. He goes, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He gave me a line. I that feeling. I had, to, I had to say this math problem won't work out. And so I go, the math problem won't work out. He goes, no, no, no. You say it like this. Da, 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 da. I'm mm -hmm. like, what? He goes, this math problem won't work out. I'm like, so I, I keep, we're in the, you know, in the mobile home doing the whole thing. And, you know, the Cinemobile or whatever. We're doing this whole thing. And. No, you have to say it this way. You have to say it this way. I said it that way. He, I said, he said, I'll do it your way if you do it my way. Mm -hmm. All right. So I did it. And then he said, okay, that's enough. I go, what about my way? He goes, we don't need it. You did it my way. What a day. That's cool. 30 years. I mean, I At least you're on digital. You're like, just let them do their way. Maybe. Yeah. I didn't like it, you know, but I mean, I, for 30 years, it was like, to me, an embarrassment when I ever see this. Yeah. Line readings do feel like bullshit. The only time I've ever done it, I remember we were making a short back in the day, and it was this thing where the actor just kept saying a declarative statement, like a question. It kept lilting, but that's a different thing. That's not, I mean, that's 
Well, so there are times. It's, when it's a fucking statement. It's not a question. Stop saying it like a question. Right. I mean, there are times when you need to say it any way you want. That's not a question. <laughs> yeah. Fucking weird. Do it, little bit. Hey, um, whatever happened to that short that we worked on that got dark at night and we ran out of light and uh-huh. running all over the it will remain forever river west or something shooting something with dark darkness is that the buzzer where are we at uh, happened with it, it it's that- one of those projects that just was never seen through because we didn't get what we wanted and honestly that kind of big crew shit and just all the moving parts bringing them together that stuff that's what we don't like about filmmaking. That's why when we make. 